Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you? I am terrific. Uh, once again, welcome. I guess we're, we're, I think we're officially doing this bi-weekly now, our bi-weekly Twitter spaces. I'm not doing it weekly because I just, it's too much goddamn work these days. Um, our bi-weekly Twitter <laughs> spaces, this time uh, we're doing a post game because the Yankees won uh, a very satisfying game uh, against the Cleveland Guardians this afternoon. 4-3 being down, 3 nothing, and coming back all the way with four unanswered runs. Um I'm going to try to get Maliki in here because I don't know what his goddamn Twitter account is. Um, Alex, how did you feel about the game? Um, I mean, that that call threw me for a loop, for sure. <laughs> As I'm sure it did everyone. But kudos to the team for uh, bouncing back from that disappointment. It was a long game. That was just the first inning. So, so okay, so... I understand that an explanation has been released since, or uh, the umpires talked about it, I guess, at the post game or something like that. I haven't seen what the explanation is. Can you fill me in? Yes. Um, I could read you what Chris Guccione said, but it's quite incoherent. <laughs> I mean, MLB umpires, what are you going to do? Yeah. There was a very complex play. There was a lot of moving parts, so we wanted to make sure that we had everything. The challenge clock never got to start. It started the in-between innings clock. So I'm glancing up there. It's hard to glance at that clock and also explain to Boone what just happened. That was when Larry goes, hold on, we've got to fix this. Let's get together as a crew. I I guess at that point, that's where we got together. The whole other part of the story. (laughs) 
I think that's about as much as you need to hear. <laughs> that's stupid. That was so stupid. I was very upset about it. I'm very glad the Yankees won because I couldn't put up with that kind of bullshit if they had not won. I want to um, see that on um, umpire scorecards. Just automatic two runs. Just for plus the Guardians two, right two there. plus runs for the Guardians. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Maliki. Um, Jeff, we'll invite you to speak because we only have like three people in this space, and you work for us. So come on in and talk. We have a, a, a series of things that I want to talk about, kind of just about like the first two weeks. I, I I don't care about like the first week of baseball, but I think two weeks in, you can start to pull out some interesting stuff. Basically, I want to start with. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You three are smart guys. I'm a smart guy. I am 95% confident. I don't like to use absolutes, but I'm 95% confident that the greatest baseball player of all time is one of Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Henry Aaron, Willie Mays, Barry Bonds, or Franchi Cordero. I think somewhere in that group of guys is the greatest baseball player of all time. Somebody tell me why it is not Franchi Cordero and it's one of the other guys. I have a distinct memory of, of having this exact conversation with Matt Carpenter last year. And have we seen Matt Carpenter in San Diego? He's still the greatest baseball player of all time. Right. I wasn't, and I was going to say, um, I, didn't, I didn't disagree with uh, your assertion then, and I'm not sure that I disagree with your assertion now. Um, yeah, I mean, for, well, Carpenter definitely, he's not off to as hot a start, but the batted ball metrics are, are there. Um, and Cordero, they're not, the bad ball metrics are not as good as you might think. Like his expected WOBA is almost 100 points lower than his actual WOBA. And I also, I hesitate because I don't know exactly what tangible adjustments that he made. Uh, with Carpenter, there was a lot of um, talk about, you know, he had a new bat that he got um, in, in the spring last year. Um, there was like a whole athletic profile on him and there's, I haven't seen the same thing on Cordero. Um, so I hesitate, um, to even accrue him like as much credit, uh, or to assess him as much credit as Carpenter. Um, but he's definitely, he's hitting fastballs a lot better. Um, and he's making more contact. But, yeah. And that's, and that's the, the thing right is he's not just making more contact he's making considerably more contact than any time except for 2020 shortened season yada 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 and like so i i take your point about um you know stat cast metrics the thing with franchi cordero has always been boy if this guy could actually get the bat on the ball he might be a above average hitter so i think that that's something that is encouraging uh, Maliki, I know you kind of dug into this. What uh, what did you find uh, in in looking at Mr. Cordero, who is I, I again one of the five greatest baseball players of all time? Maybe four after today. I don't know. It's debatable. But um, <laughs> yeah, I was I was going to come back to the whiff rate too and the swing and miss because, like you said, the 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 um, idea has always been like if he can just make a little bit more contact. I mean, he has top of the line sprint speed, or at least he did at one point. I'm, um, I guess, according to Baseball Savant, now he's down in the 52nd percentile at this early stage. But he's still a plus runner. Um, to an extent, can play the outfield. And, you know, you look at the max exit velo section 
of his stack cast page of his baseball spot page and it's just red 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 it's you know 117 118 118 he hits the ball harder than like 98% of of anybody ever anywhere so and he also runs really fast so even if you get that swing and miss you know down from you know where it was a couple years ago um let's see i, I had it right here um especially in the zone you know there was a point in even in that 2020 season, yeah, his, he, he uh, can't like really strikeout rate really was, was down, which is con- you know? concerning. Yeah, no, he swung and missed. You know, he swung he swung at 80 percent of pitches in the zone at that point. Uh, you know, and he wasn't making contact with nearly as many as he. But it's it's down now. You know, the the whiffs have dropped enough where I'm willing to entertain the idea that you know do it for a few more weeks and maybe we can start to say okay, there's something here i, I want to go and watch a video honestly i haven't watched enough video of what he looks like or what he's looked like um the last two or three years yeah you know compared to this year to to judge whether there's any kind of real uh change happening there but either way it's great to be along for the ride and i think like i mean obviously we're being facetious about him being one of the five greatest players of all time but i think what's important about having a guy like franchi cordero what has really undone the yankees not just in the playoffs in the regular season as well the last couple of years is DJ LeMahieu is great, and Aaron Judge is great, and Anthony Rizzo for the two seasons he's been here has been great, and Giancarlo Stanton when he's on the field has been great. And, you know, I'll wear one about Gleyber Torres. I, I'm the low, I'm still the low guy on Gleyber Torres, but for the last, for certainly for the start of this year, he's been great. After that, boy, it gets awful easy to pitch to this lineup. And where I think Cordero, he's not going to be a 200 WRC plus hitter, but these things that we're talking about, not whiffing in the strike zone anymore. Like when you chase a pitch in the strike zone, hit it, barrel it. If he can do that and and, and be a 115 WRC plus hitter, that is so much more valuable hitting seventh than Aaron Hicks or Isaiah Kiner falefa And I don't mean to keep picking on those two guys, but you know, this is the kind of thing that has hurt the Yankees so much is if judge goes cold or Stanton gets hurt, then the, Lineup just gets to be too easy to pitch to. Um, Jeff, we can get you in here now that you're now that you're speaking. Um, what do you think about Cordero's future and sort of how he fits on the roster? Well, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not expecting him to be as good as he has been these first couple weeks. But you know, like you said, like it's all about kind of limiting the amount of easy outs in the lineup. Like, not to say any major league player is an easy out, but relative to an Aaron Hicks or an Isaiah kind of falefa uh, I think anybody at this point would take, you know, a regressed Franchi Cordero over them. Yeah, I mean, just looking back at, at, at teams that have won the World Series, it's it's not like all of their players have been elite, but none of their players have been kind of outs that it, it doesn't take the pitcher much to get through. Like, it's not it's not challenging. They're finding ways to fight off fastballs or, or, you know, fight off off-speed pitches, making the pitcher adjust his game instead of, the other way around, um, you know, I think, I think Franchi Cordero at even a regressed stage of his Yankees career could be one of those guys farther down in the lineup. And that is what the Yankees have needed for a while now. Peter, um, general Cordero thoughts and sort of thinking about the roster. I mean, I don't know what this team wants to do with Aaron Hicks, but I think Cordero is probably a better player than Aaron Hicks. I don't know if I trust Cordero in center field, but then I don't know if I trust Darren Hicks in center field. Yeah, I know. Like, even after watching today, especially after watching today, 
I would almost feel more comfortable or certainly no less comfortable with, with Cordero in center field. Yeah, I mean, the things that I like about Cordero, he's shown the ability to hit different pitch types out of the ballpark. Like today was the heater from, today was on a heater, I want to say. Yesterday was on a elevated changeup. And then I think his he hit a cutter out for his first home run and then a slider out uh, for his second home run with the team. And I forget who it was that wrote about this for the site. It might have been Esteban, but I could be mistaken. Um, it When you have a right-handed heavy lineup in the playoffs and, and players with pretty similar swing paths, the, the opposing pitcher can really get into a lane repeating his mechanics when you're basically employing the same kind of game plan to attack an entire lineup. Um, and I think that's where... Franchi's left-handed swing and he's shown the ability to like you know go down and get that that down and in slider that doesn't quite get to the back foot it just interrupts the rhythm that a pitcher can get into of sort of repeating the same attack pattern that we've seen Astros pitchers use to great effect against the Yankees in the, in the playoffs yeah and I just think again like not just about making pitchers' lives harder, but making managers' lives harder, too. The Yankees have talked a lot about, you know, this is the lane for a certain reliever, and I think that that's probably pretty accurate to how most teams think about deploying relievers. And again, like, I don't think that Franchi Cordero... What, what is Franchi Cordero actually hitting right now? 286? That That's going to go up today, right? Anyway, I don't think he's... I don't know if he's going to hit 286, but if he's a lefty power threat hitting seventh, that is going to change how you deploy your pitching in the latter half of the game. I think that's just something that the Yankees have been missing. So he's going to come back to earth, no question. But I mean, if you look at Zips, just, uh, well, Zips and Steamer both have him pegged for a 105 WRC plus. That's going to go up after today. Production is going to be adjusted slightly, a couple points. So again, that's better than what Aaron Hicks is offering. That means that he's a starting outfielder on this team. The fourth outfielder on this team? Yeah, and especially like especially as long as Bader remains out, you probably say that left to right, Oswaldo Judge Cordero is your strongest outfield, both hitting wise and fielding wise. It gives Giancarlo and I know there's so many people who are eager to to have Giancarlo play in right field, and I know that he's even said that he likes playing right field. I'm not I don't know if I necessarily count myself in that camp. I'd rather that he just DH. Um, and I think that is a pretty, pretty dang good lineup, um, while Bader is out and, and when Bader comes back, hopefully that's, that's the true end of Hicks. Um, so I'm glad that you brought up Oswaldo Cabrera cause I wanted to talk about him a little bit, obviously strong game today, two for four drove in the game winning run, uh, scored a run below league average hitter by a, a fair amount, even after today, again, two weeks, sample size, blah, 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 striking out in a third of his plate appearances. Uh, Alex, something or nothing? Um, I mean, you know, I'll talk about uh, batted ball metrics again. Last year, uh, people raved about his, uh, you know, his call-up. And it was, not only was it a small sample, um, but he also outperformed his, you know, stat cast numbers. I think his, his real value is in his defense and his defensive versatility. I don't think Hicks is the guy... Uh, in left field, but I'm not sure I see him necessarily as like a long-term solution in a corner spot. I think I see him more as a, a utility man. I would agree with you, Alex. I long-term, I also don't think that he's a 
a cornerstone that you just like pencil in as your everyday starter. I do like him in a utility role, but for this season, and especially while Bader is injured, I do like him as as the full-time guy, as the starter. I think he's earned it to this point in left. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, any any uh, like cred that Hicks had with me was gone after that athletic interview. <laughs> Agreed. So, did, so people, like, was it weird that I wasn't bothered by what, what he said to the athletic? Am I just, am I just, I odd? am I just, it's like, not that I was like bothered or annoyed. I just thought it was sort of, it was sort of clueless. Like, I don't know. It just came off as like, not really woe is me because there were some, there were a lot of people who were reading into it that way. Like, I think he's perfectly well within his right to, like, he want if he wants to play, I think he's well within his right to say that he wants to play. But I don't think there was any like acknowledgement of any kind that he himself put himself in the position of, of not receiving game time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think as like fans, and especially as fans of, you know, watching a player who's not playing well, I think we would, you know, we want to see some level of um, like self-flagellation. Like, yeah, I suck. I don't deserve to starting. But like, I don't know. What do you expect him to say? Honestly, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm with you there, Josh. I'm in the camp of not really, not really putting too much stock into that. I don't think it's going to. I don't think it's letting them bother them that much. It's just this thing of like, we want athletes to give candid responses and tell them, tell us what they're really thinking. And then the moment that we do, we use it as a way to smack them over the head. And I don't particularly like Aaron Hicks. I wanted the Yankees to cut bait on him over the winter and they won't because they owe him $30 million. But I don't know, man. It just, it reminds me a lot of like when uh, Sonny Gray was pulled from that game and he walked off the mound smiling and it was just like, he was smiling because sometimes when you're under stress, like you just like laugh because there's nothing else to do. Like that's just a biological response that your body's going to have to certain stress. And people lost their goddamn minds over it. And it, it felt like that. Like you asked Aaron Hicks, like all Aaron Hicks has heard for six months is you suck. Why do you suck so much? Stop sucking so much. Um, and then he kind of like, felt bad about it and and we all jumped down his throat about it i don't know it was just odd to me he has acknowledged in the past before that his his performance hasn't been good like it's not he hasn't just completely dismissed the idea that he's been bad and i think at some point you kind of have to move past that if you're him like you know you can't you can't keep saying like you know i suck i'm terrible i'm i'm like he's a professional athlete he's getting paid a lot of money to to be on this roster and at some point you know uh, something happens you know part of your part of your brain switches in that position and you're like you know you're paying me this much money like what am i doing here like why you know what's what is my role and i think i think it's a very kind of fair question to ask i think at at some point you know if you're him you know a new season starting and you still don't know what you're doing here like and you're asked that question. Like, I don't know if there's any other way to respond to that. Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, you, you, I was thinking about the the actual phrase was, I don't know what my role is. And people were kind of taking that and acting as if he had said, I want to start. I don't know why I'm not starting. I don't know what. It, but, you know, at the, at the time when, when that said, it was what, like three or four games into the season. And I think the only time it actually played was, you know, a ninth inning pinch hit appearance against 
San Francisco. So we just had this whole conversation about, you know, Oswaldo Cabrera and what's, what's his role and Franchi Cordero and what's his role going to be. And, you know, the thing, the reality is most players have pretty clearly defined roles and expectations, whether they're on the bench or in the starting lineup kind of seemed like it really genuinely was not clear in what capacity is, is he going to be a pinch hitter? Is he a defensive sub? Is he going to be a spot? Like what's, what was the actual strategy? It seemed like a pretty kind of valid, the more I think about it, kind of a valid question to pose. Yeah. I, I would, um, I had two responses to, to that particular comment of his saying that he had no idea what his role was. Either that's a failing on management's hands of not commun- clearly communicating to him what his role is. I think that we've actually, we have encountered that problem in the past with management, maybe not being entirely transparent or not having the clearest lines of communications with their players when, you know, we all know that that's, that was a quality that was lauded with the hiring of, of, um, you know, some of the decision makers on the team. The other way to look at it is like, I don't know, my, my, my take on it is that his role is clearly the fourth outfielder as a bench outfielder. And that didn't seem ambiguous to me at all coming out of spring training. I think it was Boone or Cashman who, who said that they were rolling with Cabrera as, as the full-time starter in left, barring him shuffling around to give guys a, a break. Um, I don't know if I'm off base there or not. but I think I agree. I mean, I'm reading over the article again, and kind of what he what Hicks is express expressing is he is being trying to be genuine but he's expressing not necessarily that the management even failed to communicate what his role is to him or that he doesn't he he almost it seems like he does know what his role is but he's in disbelief um that he's not starting which like that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it's like pretty clear to me why he's not starting Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Moving to sort of a, a bigger question about baseball in general. Do you guys know that Mike Trout is ass? Watch five and a half win Mike Trout. He's yeah. not even the best player on his own team. Like, come on. He's not even the second Mike, best player on his own team. He's not even the second team. best player on his own team. I don't, I'm not going to even pretend to know who this man is. Who, O'Hoppy? Who, Logan O'Hoppy? Stop it. <laughs> not a real person. Oh, Hooper. Uh, I don't know who O'Hooper is, but like the best catcher in baseball today. Um, I don't care about Ali Rutschman. I don't care about JTR. O Hooper is my guy. Um, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from. I just know he's the best. He, I think he might be the best player on the Angels. I think he might be better than Shohei Otani. And I think that this is just the sad continuation of the decline of Mike Trout. 
how far the, the, he's the fallen. Ken Griffey, the Ken Griffey Jr. of our generation. And I was, I was just going to say, uh, quite an eerily similar trajectory to Ken Griffey. He, he probably would, would grab uh, washed six win Mike Trout with both hands and run if presented the opportunity. Speaking of washed players, Byron Buxton also got hurt today. And I just, I just think it's important. I just think it's important to constantly remind you people that, like, you can look at Statcast and you can do all this stuff. And at the end of the day, like, I end up being right about these players all the time, and I don't know how. I have never looked at Byron Buxton's Statcast page, and yet, <laughs> every single year, I am correct about Byron Buxton. The best ability, as they say. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you just made me go, yo, guys, Mike, Mike, Mike Trout hit 40 homers in less than 500 plate appearances last year. What the hell? Yeah, how many wins? How many wins are you worth? Good. Was, with Matthew? Was, with, 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 with between five and seven wins, perhaps? The the response I'm giving you is the look in Trout's eyes before the WBC fight when Alex Rodriguez asked if it was the biggest game he'd ever played in. <laughs> I believe he was worth that's, that's one. <laughs> wins, which is curious how some people nail that projection every single year. Um, So I want to talk, talking about the Yankees kind of through two weeks, I want to talk about baseball kind of broadly through two weeks. And we have to talk Tampa Bay Rays. Um, Very outspoken in how much I hate the Tampa Bay Rays. Does anyone here like the Rays? Alex, I feel like you like the Rays. And I will give you a fair chance to defend that if you like the Rays. Um, Yeah, I kind of do, actually. Um, I think, you know, they have a really savvy front office and it's really impressive that they're able to compete year in and year out, um, with such a low payroll. Do I think that they're going to be, you know, even close to this good the rest of the year? No. Do I still think the Yankees are going to win the division? Yes. But there's a lot of stuff that I'm liking, you know, uh, the pitching is great. McClanahan had a shoulder scare at the end of last year, and he looks healthy. Glasnow's coming back at some point. Springs looks great. Uh, Franco is healthy. Brandon Lau is healthy. Uh, Josh Lowe. calling up. Yeah, Taj Bradley starting today. They're out to an early lead. I think uh, Rosa Reina hit a home run. There's a lot to like. I, I actually um, – I was one of the few people on the Fangraph staff who had the raise – over the Blue Jays in my preseason predictions. So I've always been high on them. Who was it that – actually, I'm not even going to bother. I don't, I don't even want to know the answer. Um, I, I hate that the Rays' existence justifies – disingenuously justifies, like, anywhere between 8 and 12 teams pointing to the Rays – and disingenuously saying, "Look, we, this is this is a reason that we don't need to field higher payrolls. This is this is a legitimate reason for us to depress payroll, with full knowledge that they don't possess the player development staff and the infrastructure that the Rays have that makes the entire system work for the Rays. They just use it as almost like a, they use it almost like as misdirection to sort of cover up the real intentions and the real motivations, which is to just not." spend on on player payroll yeah and i think like i think my the issue that i take with the rays and it's it's probably less of an issue to do with the rays and more about how we talk about the rays which in and of itself is is becoming a much more interesting thing for me about baseball people treat money in baseball too often like it's not an advantage 
like we talk about player dev and like the ability to draft well and the ability to sort of accrue depth either in the minors or on the major league roster as a real like skill like this is a skill that teams have some teams are better at developing players than others and i think that managing a high payroll and allocating it properly is a skill and i i don't like that the rays get all the credit in the world for their their skill set but and i'm gonna be oh woe is the yankees the yankees and the dodgers and the blue jays when they're good and you know, certain iterations of the Red Sox, I think maybe post Mookie Betts, this argument, it loses a little bit, but certain iterations of the Red Sox, being able to allocate a $200 million payroll effectively and still generate wins without a lot of dead contracts, without being the LA Angels, um, I think that that's a skill. And and I guess my problem with the Rays has always been like, why their skill set is seen as virtuous, and something to strive towards and something that should be emulated and something that should be celebrated. But the Yankees and the Dodgers are buying championships or when it comes to the Dodgers, it's not what you talk about with the Dodgers. I, I think the Dodgers kind of speak to both of those points too. I mean, when you combine, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays front office system, I don't know what exactly, you know, what systems specifically Andrew Friedman brought with him to Los Angeles from, um, Tampa Bay, but it's probably pretty safe to assume that he's, you know, uh, using the same philosophies and, um, you know, franchise building strategies, except now with a gigantic payroll. And they're coming off probably like the single most successful 10 year run, eight year run, however long it's been that he joined in the, the divisional era. <laughs> you know, they've been a 100, 510 win machine damn near for half a decade now since 2017. Uh, the sentiment about the Rays, I don't think they're great for But as far as baseball goes, uh, there it's hard to it's hard to find a hole, man. This this it's it's early days yet, but it feels like this might just be the year because you go up and down their roster resource page, and if I do philosophically think that going when it comes to making a playoff run, going with a solid nine every single day rather than picking, I think that can come back to bite you in some ways. But I, it's hard to see a team that's more complete than them right now. So this is what I wanted to talk about, and it's I think it's something that uh, I hate doing this kind of crap. The media hasn't talked about, and it's what I want to talk about. The teams they played have stunk. Not not been bad. The teams have stunk. A small group of woodland creatures could win one out of three games in a series against the Nationals. And the Detroit Tigers, I think we need to tell Mr. Illich that he owns a baseball team because I think he would be surprised to find that the Detroit Tigers are actually a baseball team. <laughs> so where I where I wonder with these things, and I mean, the, the, the best thing they're facing is the Red Sox, whose pitching is not good. The Red Sox actually, their lineup I think is maybe a little bit better than we're giving credit for, but that pitching staff is terrible. And I guess what I want to know from all four of you, and, and Jeff, maybe you can start because you've kind of been a little bit quiet lately. How do you sort of opponent adjust your expectations for people knowing that the Yankees have played on paper. Anyway, the Yankees have played middling to good teams, the guardians being the best team they've played so far this year, I think. Uh, and the rays have played again, a small group of woodland creatures. Um, the wins all it, count. Like the wins all count. The, yeah. It takes a hundred wins to make the playoffs. The rays already have 12 of those, but like, it's not, 
is it the same as what the Yankees are doing? Is it not the same? How do you adjust? No, I mean, I, I think, you know, I mean, you see this across all sports. Like, everyone wants to have a narrative. So a good team like the Rays that's playing AAA teams for the most part is is going to get a lot of publicity when they go 12-0 and or whatever. When you look at the kind of run differential that the Rays, you know, have had over this kind of 11, 12 game stretch. Like it's, it's clear that, you know, not only are the Rays good, but the teams they're playing are just bad. Like it's, you know, you can acknowledge that the Rays are good while also understanding that the teams they're playing are not the ones they're going to be playing in a playoff series or whatever. Like I think, or frankly in two weeks. Yeah. Um, it's just, I don't know if there's 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 not a set way that you can figure out how to adjust your or how to kind of temper your expectations, but you know which teams are good and which teams are bad, and that kind of you know you look at other teams around the league that have started well, the Yankees being one of them. They've they've won all four of their series against teams that have that you know are projected to be better than any of the teams the Rays are playing by a pretty fair margin. Um, so I think you don't discount the wins because like you said, it, it takes, it takes wins against all teams to make the playoffs, but there's a certain kind of let's back up here type thing when it comes to a team that's gone 12 and zero with the kind of run differential that they've put up over this first stretch of games. To, to play a little bit of devil's advocate though, do we feel confident in saying that the Yankees would have won those same 12 games with the same run differential that the Rays had? I am not sure I feel confident in saying that they would have. Um, well, I mean, I could also, we, but could we say like, but at the start of the season, could we have said that the Rays would have won those 12 games with the same run differential? Like that's, that's not a provable thing. Right, right, right. No, I don't think anybody would have predict would have predicted that they did. But now that they have done it, I mean, I I think it's a little it's selling the what the Rays have done in the manner that they've done it a little bit short to just point to the crappiness of the opposition, which I'm not writing off at all. I mean, they literally are AAA teams that they're playing, but still, like like you said, like a a realm of woodland creatures will luck into a win <laughs> in one of those twelve games. But they haven't because the Rays have been that much head and shoulders above the competition in every single contest that they've played. And I really do wonder if it's if there's if it's just that, you know, the opponents being bad and luck on the Rays side operating here or if we're maybe not giving the proper due to the Rays for having completed this 12 game series in the manner that they did it. Yeah, porque no los dos. Sounds like a little, a little bit of both. I mean, yeah, the run differential yeah. is kind of wild because it's um, a, like I said, a, a pack of woodland creatures could probably win a game against uh, against the, the 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 Nationals or the A's. But the beautiful thing, one of the things I love about baseball is that even the absolute worst teams in any given year, most of them anyway, are still going to win 60, 55, 60 games at least. They're still going to win you know, one out of roughly every three games. And uh, when it comes to stuff that opens the season, I kind of, I frame these things as like, okay, the Rays are 12 and 0. If this was like a random 12 game stretch at some point in yeah, this June is what I July, do well. 
we'd be saying, oh, this team is really, really hot. They're probably contenders. Are they world beaters? And they were probably not talking about them the same way. But at the same time, the fact that they haven't even, you know, the worst teams win 60 games, the, the A's, the Tigers, they steal games against good teams all the time because that's how baseball works. And the fact that the Rays didn't even put themselves in a position where a bad team could, you know, steal a win off of them, which again happens in baseball every single day. Bad teams win games they don't deserve to win every single day. And the fact that they, they're not even putting themselves in a position to lose games like that is kind of is kind of remarkable, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I have some thoughts on this too. Um, I think that this kind of goes for any early season or small sample is you want to look at the kind of statistics that stabilize quickly or better yet, the kind of statistics that are uh, opponent independent. And uh, Stuff Plus, I don't know if you guys know about stuff much about Stuff Plus, but basically it assesses pitches only based on their movement and location. So it has little to do with who's in the batter's box or as little as, as possible. And the Rays uh, starting pitching, I'm just like taking a quick look here. They're all grading out really well especially Springs, unsurprisingly, who's looked the best. McClanahan looks good. The changeup in his last outing was really good. Um, and Eflin, they must have done something with his fastballs because they're looking good, too. And I know he's on the IL, but uh, he should be back in short order. Otherwise, even with this, the quick, quickly stabilizing statistics, it, it can still be tough, like you know, looking at walk right, rate and uh, strikeout rate. Um, those don't mean the same thing against the Nationals versus the Yankees. Um, so I think I agree that it's probably a little bit of both. Uh, like, they're a good team. Obviously, they're not this good. They're, they look a little better because of who they're playing. So given that, then, uh, I'm going to pull up the playoff odds. Um, so the Rays have, of course, gained the most in betting odds to win the World Series. How much betting odds affect the way that you think about the game is, is probably up to you. They have a 10.9% chance of winning the World Series. They are, by fan graphs, the favorites to win the division. You know, we're talking about how much we believe this sort of stuff. Uh, Atlanta right now has the highest World Series odds, and the Rays are second. Do we think of them as the second best team in baseball, or do we think of them as not that good? I mean, I definitely have to adjust my preseason expectations and projections for them, even with, you know, what is admittedly a small sample of 12 games. Um, I had them as the, I predicted them to be the clear third best team in the division. I think that in my mind, they've closed the gap that existed uh, in my head between themselves and the Blue Jays and the Yankees in the division. I don't think that they're the second best team in baseball. I think it's like Malky said earlier, it's a, it's somewhere in the middle. But I do think that they're they're better than I initially perceived them preseason. I was about to say that I have more faith in the Yankees rotation being healthy than the Rays. But now I actually don't know if that's true. I, I agree with Peter. I think I think I also had them behind the Blue Jays. Um, and I think... I think the gap between or the gap for me between the Blue Jays and the Rays wasn't as big as a lot of people thought it might be, but it was still, you know, relatively large. But yeah, they've they've closed that gap for me. I mean, the pitching's been 
excellent. I think I think a guy that hasn't been mentioned is Drew Rasmussen. He's he's looked really good. I think you know the hitting's been great. I Wander Franco looks really good. Um, it's just they've been playing so well, and and you know like everybody said, you know it, it's a it's a little bit in the middle. Um, I think I don't know if I don't think they're better than the Yankees, and whether or not they shake out to be better than the Blue Jays by the end of the year is is something that we'll we'll see with time. Um, but I do think that they they could easily be second in the division by the end of the year, or, you know, even first, if, if things keep up the way they're, the way they're going right now. Um, but yeah, second team in baseball, I'm, I'm not second best team in baseball. I'm not sure I buy that one. I think, like I said before, um, I was, uh, in the minority when I put the Rays as winning, uh, the first wild card, um, amongst the Fangraph staff. And in fact, a lot of people had the Blue Jays winning the division, uh, over the Yankees too, which I also disagree with. But I mean, I'll always take the over on the Rays because, you know, when you look at projection systems, they're largely based on historical data and they don't take into account player dev and the quality of the front office. You can easily add, you know, a few wins to the Rays total every year. Just thinking about, you know, the changes they're going to make to their players, uh, you know, for the better. Um, yeah. And, you know, I guess uh, kind of going back, bringing this a little bit full circle, I don't mean to, like, you know, engage in, in Ray's worship here, uh, like Josh was saying, where, you know, it, it, it's not like you shouldn't spend money on ball players. It's just that a lot of teams don't do it super well. Um, and the best is when you marry a good front office with some, you know, spending. And I mean, the Dodgers obviously in, in the past decade have been the best at that. But I think right now, even though they've gotten off to a bit of a slow start to the season, I think the Mets are doing the best job of that. Um, like they've really flushed out their front office and I think they'll be picking things back up. I think New York is definitely the baseball capital of the world right now. I have exactly zero faith in the New York Mets. <laughs> um, but that's okay 